Hey y'all, it's Janice. Welcome to the Dirty Diversity Podcast. This is a place where we will be exploring equity, racism, and diversity. I am a DEI consultant, educator, writer, and professor who strives to center my work around the liberation of Black folks globally. More specifically, I examine and unpack how we can create structures that support the most marginalized folks in the workplace. This is a podcast where I will share my thoughts on all things diversity, equity, inclusion, racism, anti-racism, and Black liberation. My goal is to stimulate your mind and shift you to think in a way that you've never considered before. This podcast will feature my thoughts as well as the perspectives of different folks doing related work. If you want to learn more, pick up my best-selling books, Dirty Diversity and the Pink Elephant, where I explore workplace equity in more detail. Thank you for listening. Hey, y'all. Jay Nice on the mic, back with another episode of the Dirty Diversity podcast. So before we go ahead and begin... I just want to thank you all for listening to the podcast and remind you that if you haven't um, left a review on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you listen, it would mean a lot to me if you did. And uh, y'all know I say this every episode, but it really helps with the visibility of the podcast. Also, I am currently still accepting clients for quarter four. We've just entered Q4 as well as Q1 and Q2 of 2023. So if your organization or institution is looking for an equity consultant to help you with anti-racism, anti-oppression, diversity, equity, and inclusion, feel free to reach out to me. My email is in the show notes. It's Janice at bwgbusinesssolutions.com. Dot com, and let's hop on a discovery call to chat more about how I can help you and your workplace with your specific needs. There's a lot of resources I have left for y'all in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. But this episode today, I wanted to unpack and explore this idea of white saviorism. So I like to do episodes based on things that I've written recently. And a couple of days ago, I published an article on white saviorism, and I thought it'd be great to unpack that for today's episode. So what is white saviorism? Well, white saviorism is a term that was coined actually like 10 years ago by this Nigerian-American writer named Teju or Tiju Cole. He was tweeting about Kony 2012. And some of y'all may remember Kony 2012. Some of y'all may not remember. I definitely remember because I had made a, I remember I did like a Facebook video about it or I did a video and posted it on my Facebook back when I was using Facebook. And then I did a YouTube video that is currently unlisted on my YouTube channel. But I remember it got a lot of views. But Kony 2012 was like a campaign to raise awareness about this this guy named Joseph Kony. He was a militia leader 
who was terrorizing parts of Central Africa. And there was this campaign or this video, I think it was like technically Kony 2012 was considered the first viral video, but there was like this video campaign to raise money for raise money about Coney, um, Joseph Coney. And the video went viral. I think it was the first technically viral video. And the organization, the nonprofit that was responsible for the Coney 2012 campaign, they were able to raise millions of dollars in support of um, helping to like, essentially like just helping to raise awareness about what was going on. They raised the money and there was a lot of controversy though because the nonprofit was called Invisible Children. They were the ones that started the Coney 2012 campaign and a, a majority of the money that was raised in the aftermath of Coney 2012 didn't actually go to people in need, right? So we see this happen a lot where there is like a misappropriation of funds. We saw this with the Red Cross uh, when it came to the um, Haiti earthquake that happened. I don't remember what year. I want to say like 2015, 2016. There was that earthquake in Haiti. And when it comes to relief efforts, a lot of times the charitable organizations that are raising money for um for the people allegedly the people don't often end up receiving the money and the funding um to help them right and i wrote an article about mutual aid and why it's better to support mutual aid versus charitable foundations and organizations and if you want to read more about it i dropped it in the show notes right so if you want to help people who were impacted by the the recent hurricanes that have taken place in the U.S. and in Puerto Rico, it's important to find people who need help and directly send money and resources to them. So the article, if you want to read more about it, is in the show notes. But the Coney 2012 campaign really, like, I think that was the the first time that we saw people talking about the white savior industrial complex, right? And so after uh, the Coney video went viral and then people realized, oh, like this is a scam. There was somebody named uh, Teju, excuse me, Cole, who was a Nigerian American writer who started tweeting about the white savior industrial complex. So he tweeted, The fastest growth industry in the U.S. is a white savior industrial complex. And then he also tweeted, the white savior supports brutal policies in the morning, founds charities in the afternoon, and receives awards in the evening. And so oftentimes when we talk about white saviorism and the white savior complex, we're speaking in regards to like people who engage in missionary work, right? We see a lot of white saviors in missionary work and people who go into like Teach for America or people who go to spread Christianity in underdeveloped, and I'm using air quotes here, in underdeveloped countries, right? And so when you think about like what it means to be a white savior, white saviorism is essentially this belief that white people are all-knowing and were put in place to save, to help, 
to protect non-white people, right? And so this belief in white people's white people being placed on this earth to help and save and liberate the quote-unquote uncivilized non-white people or people of color or people of the global majority is what has led to a lot of colonization and wars around the world, right? Around the globe. And when I think about white saviorism, I think about this idea of manifest destiny. And manifest destiny was this idea that was propagated in the 1800s that the U.S. was like destined or ordained by God to expand their dominion and spread democracy and capitalism across the North American continent, right? And so white saviorism really propagates this belief that it is white people's job and duty to save people of the global majority, people of the global South, people of color. It is white people's responsibility to save, air quotes here, um, non-white people from themselves, right? And so again, we see this in like missionary work. We see people um, going into countries like Haiti, for example, and doing missionary work. And then we end up finding out that a lot of these missionaries and these people who go into these countries to save the people are actually abusing and harming them. There's so many um, so many news stories and articles about um, missionaries who've gone into countries and they're abusing, harming, trigger warning, they're like sexually abusing the young children and the young people and the people in general that they came into the country to quote unquote help and save, right? And so this idea of white saviorism or the white savior complex manifests in many ways. I actually saw a really good example of white saviorism on LinkedIn. I don't remember if I told the, no, I was in a coaching session actually. And I told my, um, the person that I'm coaching, I told them this story, but I don't think I've shared this on the podcast before, but if I have, excuse me y'all, cause I feel like there's so many episodes and sometimes I blur the lines between like what I've shared with y'all and what I haven't. So I was scrolling on LinkedIn. This was probably like last year, 2021 sometime. And I saw that this white man, he, I think, was like the head of some organization. He might have been an executive or CEO at some organization. He posted a picture with this black homeless man or unhoused man. And he basically like had this caption that said, I met this homeless man when I went into this restaurant. I ended up giving him a job. It was just like this long, unnecessary caption, right? And he posted the picture, right? And there were a lot of people. I think this this executive thought he was doing this amazing thing. And I think helping people, when you have power and privilege, helping people is is amazing and is is wonderful. But like I had many of the questions that people posed in the comments, which was like, A, did you ask this person's permission before posting their image online? B, why do you feel the need to post this online, right? And C, it's giving like white savior vibes, right? Like I came I came into this, I, I don't know if it was a, a store or a restaurant 
and he saw this man who was unhoused and felt like he needed to save him, right? And the 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 post came off as super white savior. And I wish I could find it. It was like a long time ago. So, you know, it's probably like maybe like a year ago now, maybe less, maybe more, but it would be hard to find. Maybe if I Google it, I could find it actually. But it was super cringy. And there's a lot of super cringy things on LinkedIn, but it was super duper cringy. And that to me was like a really classic example, right? Because I've, I've like, I, I'm sure we've all like seen an unhoused person and we've given them money, we've helped them in some way, but why do you have to post that online? And I get those same vibes, like with celebrities who do that. I feel like Kevin Hart did something like that where he posted, um, a picture of some unhoused person and he's like I helped this homeless person I gave them a bunch of money it's just super cringe you could help people without feeling the need to cloud chase and post it online and you know I think that that was a really good example but that this whole idea of white saviorism had me thinking about the ways the white saviorism manifests in the workplace and that's essentially what I wrote this article on which is linked in the show notes but I wanted to unpack that for this episode and just talk a little bit about ways the white saviorism shows up in the workplace so I think one of the first ways that white saviorism shows up in the workplace is this idea that um, white managers and leaders are all-knowing and know more than their non-white colleagues, right? And there was this really good article that was written by Erica Stallings, and it was about how black women go from pet to threat in the workplace, and I could relate to so much of what was shared in the article. Dr. Keisha M. Thompson, Thomas, excuse me, who I actually wrote a, a textbook chapter for a book that she put out like two years ago in 2020. Um, I wrote a textbook chapter for her textbook. So um, I know her well. She's super dope, but she coined the term pet th- to threat to basically mean like the experiences that black women endure where they go from being treated well in their workplace to being mistreated or treated, you know, or dehumanized by colleagues, right? And so in this article, it really talked about some of the really specific experiences that a lot of black women go through. And I think a common experience that a lot of black people and non-black people of color experience is this like this feeling that they're always being second guessed by white colleagues, right? It's this assumption that white people, white white colleagues know better, right? And even when you have the accolades and you have the knowledge and the skills and the abilities and the quote unquote achievements to prove that you have a, a vast amount of knowledge in a particular subject, you're still, we're still hyper scrutinized and questioned Um about our knowledge, right? And another way that this can manifest and white saviorism manifests is in racial gaslighting and tone policing. Racial gaslighting is where you share an experience of racism that you've gone through and the person that you're speaking with invalidates your experience and makes you question whether you actually experienced that or not, right? And when you're having conversations about what it is that you experience, I think it's so common for people who've not gone through that to to um, 
to, to question that, right? And we see this a lot with white people who've, you know, as a white person, you've never had an experience with racism. And we have to go back and remember that racism is systemic. So white people have never experienced systemic oppression. And so when someone is sharing with you what they've gone through as far as microaggressions or, you know, whatever uh, sort of aggressions they've experienced, we're often second-guessed and questioned and our experiences are invalidated. And tone policing is another thing where you are expressing emotion and you are told to calm down, right? You are invalidated. What you're saying is invalidated because of the emotion that you're bringing to a conversation, right? I've been told to calm down because I'm a really, really passionate person. I'm loud, and um, but I speak with a lot of passion, and sometimes people will say, calm down, like, why are you getting so aggressive, right? And so these are some of the ways that people from underrepresented groups, people of the global majority, right, underrepresented racial minorities are, are these are some of the common experiences that we go through in the workplace. And the invalidating of our knowledge, our skills, and expertise is a really, really pervasive issue that is common and is very common for us to experience in the workplace. Also, when it comes to like mentorship and sponsorship relationships, I think the white savior complex can show up in because it's usually white people, white executives, white males mentoring junior level employees of color and you can see that when these mentorship relationships and sponsorship relationships are happening sometimes the the tone policing can occur the racial microaggressions can occur and when you bring it up with the person that is mentoring or sponsoring you your experiences and your feelings can be belittled, right? And so there's a lot of research that indicates that we all know what mentorship is, but sponsorship, for those of you who are not not familiar, sponsorship is basically like taking a vested interest in your protege's career. Sponsors are often able to be in rooms where their protege's aren't in, right? And so they really advocate for the, for them, for their protege, for their career advancement. And so sponsorship is really vital for advancement when it comes to women, when it comes to women from racially marginalized communities. Sponsorship is vital, right? But within these sponsorship relationships, microaggressions and macroaggressions can complicate these types of relationships. And sometimes there is, you go into that partnership feeling like you know better, right? And even though you may have more privilege and more power than the person that you're mentoring or that you're sponsoring, the assumption shouldn't be that you know, like, you know, this assumption, excuse me, shouldn't be that this person that your, your protege is not bringing anything to the table, right? Where they may lack in knowledge about the company, um, they may make up for in other ways, right? In their skills and abilities and talents that they have in other domains, right? So it can show up a lot in the workplace. And I think it's important for us to recognize, A, like what is white saviorism? We need to be having more conversations about it and the ways that it manifests. And also like bringing in people into your workplaces, your organizations and your institutions who can facilitate conversations about 
white saviorism, the way that it manifests and how we can continue to interrupt white saviorism because white saviorism is just another form of white supremacy culture. And if you aren't addressing white saviorism in your workplace, what's going to end up happening is that the inequities will persist. The oppression will continue. So it's really important to understand the ways that it, it manifests and it continues to harm your employees. So if you are interested in reading more about my thoughts on white saviorism in the workplace, I will leave the link to the article in the show notes. Also, a really good article that I wrote, um, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, but I think it was a really strong article I wrote on um, mutual aid is also in the show notes. So that is where I'll leave off on today's episode. Again, thank y'all so much for the support. You may be you may have heard an ad in this episode or in a previous episode. I mentioned to y'all um, in last week's podcast that uh, my podcast became eligible to put ads on the episode. So I've been looking through and making sure that I'm assessing the ads and it aligns somewhat with this podcast. I don't just want to put like random ads on the podcast like this is a podcast about equity and anti-oppression. I don't want to put an ad for like home goods, right? Or like lawn care, right? I don't want to put an ad like that over the podcast. But um, in case you didn't listen to last week's episode um, and you heard an ad and you were a little bit confused, um, that's what that is about. So thank y'all so much for your support. Again, all the resources are in the show notes, but that is where I am wrapping up for today. I will check y'all out in next week's episode of the Dirty Diversity Podcast.